And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. The uh, day is February 21st. <clears throat> and everything's falling here. Now what? <coughs> Excuse me. 52nd day of the year. 313 days remain to the year is over with. And we do it all over again. Holidays and observances. National Sticky Bun Day. And a National Mother Language Day. Cancer Prevention Action Week. Real Bread Week. Future Farmers of America Week. National Engineers Week. National Nest Box Week. And National Condom Week. Put a few in your pocket today. Birth dates. Kelsey Grammer. Jordan Peele. Jennifer Love Hewitt. National Black History Month. Canned Food Month. National Snack Food Month. National Children's Dental Health Month, Harley Quinn Month, National Embroidery Month, National Women Inventors Month, National Grapefruit Month, Great American Pie Month, International Vegan Cuisine Month, National Heart Month, National Cherry Month, National Bake for Family Fun Month, National Bird Feeding Month, National Hot Breakfast Month, National Library Lovers Month, Low Vision Awareness Month, National Fasting Month. And North American Inclusion Week. And with that being said, in 452, Severinius, Bishop of Sathopolis, is martyred in Palestine. 1245, Thomas the first known Bishop of Finland is granted resignation after confessing to torture and forgery. 1440, the Prussian Confederation is formed. 1613, Mikhail I is unanimously elected Tsar by National Assembly, beginning the Romanov dynasty of Imperial Russia. 1797, a force of 1,400 French soldiers invade Britain at Fishguard and supported Society of United Irishmen. They're defeated by 500 British reservists, not even first-line troops. 1804, the first self-propelling uh, steam locomotive makes its outing at the uh, Penny Darren Ironworks in Wales. 1808, without a previous declaration of war, Russian troops crossed the border into Sweden at Abahors, I'm sorry, Abahors in eastern Finland, beginning to finish war in which Sweden would lose the eastern half of the country. That's Finland to Russia. 1828, initial issue of the Cherokee Phoenix is the first periodical to use the Cherokee syllabary, uh, invented by Sequoia. 1842, John Greenall is granted the first U.S. patent for the sewing machine. 1848, Karl Marx and Frederick Engels published the Communist Manifesto. 1861, Marie Ham, uh, capital city of Ireland, is founded. 1862, American Civil War. Battle of Valverde is fought near Fort Craig in New Mexico Territory. 1874, the Oakland Daily Tribune publishes its first edition. 1878, the first telephone directors issued in New Haven, Connecticut. 
1885, the newly completed Washington Monument is dedicated. 1896, an Englishman raised in Australia, Bob Fitzsimmons, fought an Irishman. Peter Mayer, an American-promoted event that technically took place in Mexico. He won the 1896 World Heavyweight Championship in boxing. 1913, Ioannina is incorporated into the Greek state after the Balkan Wars. 1916, World War I, in France. The Battle of Verdun begins. 1918, Carolina Parakeet dies in captivity at Cincinnati Zoo. 1919, German socialist Karl Eisner is assassinated. His death results in the establishment of the Bavarian Soviet, excuse me, the Bavarian, I can't read my own handwriting, Bavarian Soviet Republic and Parliament and Government uh, fleeing Munich, Germany. 1921, Constituent Assembly of the Democratic Republic of Georgia adopts the country's first constitution. Also in 1921, Reza Shah takes control of Tehran during a successful coup. 1925, the New Yorker publishes its first at issue. 1929, in the first battle of the Warlord Rebellion in southeast uh, Shandong against the nationalist government of China, 24,000 strong rebel force led by Zhang Zhongcheng is defeated at uh, Zilu by uh, 7,000 NRA soldiers. 1937, the League of Nations bans foreign national volunteers in the Spanish Civil War. Foreign national volunteers are basically known as mercenaries. 1940, the anti-Hindi imposition agitation of 1937 and 1940 ends in Madras pirates in British India after the British governor of Madras, Lord Erskine, issues a press communique withdrawing compulsory Hindi teaching and making it optional in Madras educational institutions. 1945, World War II, during the Battle of Iwo Jima, Japanese kamikaze planes sink the escort carrier USS Bismarck Sea and damage the USS Saratoga. 1945, World War II, the Brazilian Expeditionary Force defeat the German forces at the Battle of Monte Castello on the Italian front. 1947, New York City, Edwin Land demonstrates the first instant camera, the Polar Red Land camera, to a meeting of the Optical Society of America. 1948, NASCAR is incorporated. 1952, the British government under Winston Churchill establishes identity cards in the UK to set the people free. I'm sorry, abolishes uh, identity cards. 1952, the Bengali language movement protests occur at the University of Dhaka in East Pakistan, now Bangladesh. 1958, the CND symbol, also known as the Peace Symbol, commissioned by the Direct Action Committee in protest against the Atomic Weapons Research Establishment, is designed and completed by Gerald Halton. 1971, a convention on psychotropic substances is signed in Vienna. 1972, U.S. President Richard Nixon visits China to normalize Sino-American relations. 1972, the Soviet uh, uncrewed spaceship Lunar 20 lands on the moon. 1973, over the Sinai Desert, Israeli fighter aircraft shoot down Libyan Arab Airlines Flight 114 jet, killing 108 people. 1974, the last Israeli soldiers leave the west bank of the Suez Canal pursuant to a truce with Egypt. 
1975 Watergate scandal. Former U.S. Attorney General John Mitchell, former White House aides H.R. Haldeman, John Ehrlichman are sentenced to prison. 1994, Aldrich Ames is arrested by the Federal Bureau of Investigation for selling national secrets to the Soviet Union in Arlington County, Virginia. 1995, Steve Fawcett lands in Leader Saskatchewan, Canada, becoming the first person to make a solo flight across the Pacific Ocean in a balloon. 2013, at least 17 people are killed, 119 injured following several bombings in the Indian city of Hyderabad. And in 2022, in the Russia-Ukrainian crisis, Russian President Vladimir Putin declares the Luhansk People's Republic and Donetsk People's Republic is independent from Ukraine and moves troops into the region. Of course, the United Nations condemned the action with, Oh, you bad boy, you. They didn't do anything else. All right. <clears throat> That's our little history segment for today. You know, we've been talking about a lot of off-the-wall things. Uh, a couple of um, things I do want to talk about. The, the excess deaths that seem to be related to the uh, the COVID vaccination, which has um, what are called white blood clots, which are in fact um, rather deadly. Um, for whatever reason, the powers that be insisted we have these shots. I found out from my primary care physician that uh, incorporated in the flu shots is COVID vaccination. So they kind of sneak it in there. Um, and there's a lot of strange illnesses floating around right now, which is... Um, Certainly disheartening. You don't know who's on whose side anymore. Alrighty. We have, uh, I said yesterday that I was going to talk about the uh, Joliet, uh, the old Joliet prison. Um, One of the limestone towers at uh, Joliet Correctional Center rises above the old prison, which um, certainly makes an impression as you approach it. Located in Joliet, Illinois, founded in 1858. At the beginning of the movie The Blues Brothers, Joliet Jake Blues, played by John Belushi, released in Illinois State Penitentiary. And the prison, the Joliet Correctional Center, was the, the source of his nickname. Now, at the end of the film, Jake and his brother, Elwood, return to Joliet and perform a rousing rendition of what else? Jailhouse Rock. But um, Hollywood fun belied the history of the place. In real life, old Joliet prison was home to some notorious inmates and a fair share of horrors. Built in 1858, Joliet was originally famous for imprisoning civil war criminals. 
By the end of the, the war, it held more than 1,200 prisoners, which was an unusually large number at the time. The uh, conditions at Joliet were generally miserable because the prison didn't keep up with modern amenities. Uh, you know, in 1910, there was still neither running water nor toilets in individual cells. And as a result, outbreaks of deadly viruses were common. Inmates were desperate to leave, and Joliet became known for a number of daring escape attempts. Located 40 miles southeast of Chicago, the prison was home to some of Windy City's most infamous criminals. Babyface Nelson, the bank robber, was there for a time before he escaped. His partner, John Dillinger, was there. Serial killer John Wayne Gacy was incarcerated there as well. 1924, Nathan Leopold and Richard Loeb were sent to Joliet for being, after being given life sentences for what was called the crime of the century. The uh, That's when two wealthy college students murdered a 14-year-old boy in an attempt to demonstrate their superior intellects by committing the perfect crime. Actually made the prison a better place, revamping the educational system and helping out a high school and junior college curriculum for inmates. Some folks, that's the only way they get their education, by going to prison. But that was one of the few positive things that happened at Joliet. 1960s, after public anger over the discovery of hepatitis experiments being conducted on development of disabled children in an effort to create a vaccine, the Army recruited volunteers from Joliet to continue the experiments. Now, these test subjects, primarily conscientious objectors, subjectors, to the one in Vietnam, or among other things, made to drink feces tainted milkshakes. 1990s, the government deemed that the overall conditions of the facility were unsafe, but it took until 2002 for the penitentiary to be shut down. That was mostly due to budget issues. A lot of the prison buildings and grounds still stand today, and you can get walking tours. There's even an after dark tour during which there's some of the more macabre stories are told for people seeking this frightful experience. And given the number of prisoners who were mistreated at Joliet and the number of executions, there are many, many stories about ghosts and spirits that roam the abandoned grounds. Well, Joliet Prison has many little-known uh, stories and a lot of secrets. Well, let's talk about Fort George's, Portland, Maine, founded in 1865. You know, since its completion in 1865, the fort has never been home to a single U.S. soldier or sailor. You know, given the concern, the U.S. decided to build three forts in Portland Harbor off the coast of Maine in an effort to protect its northernmost state. Well, even though they wanted to build these three forts, the funding for Fort George's were named after uh, Sir Fernand, F Fernando George's, colonial proprietor of Maine, didn't come through until 1857. Construction didn't begin until 1858. It wasn't until 1865 that the island fort was finally completed. 
But after all the expenditure of time, effort, and money, the fort never opened its doors. Built on Hog Island Ledge in Casco Bay and modeled after Fort Sumter in Charleston, uh, South Carolina, that was fired on it to start the Civil War. Fort Gorges, already outdated by the time the last stone in the keep was put in place. By 1865, military technology advanced far beyond the structure's limited capabilities. Introduction of iron ships, long-range guns, and high-explosive ammunition made the fort obsolete. Not a single soldier had ever stationed at Fort Gorges. That's G-O-R-G-E-S. Still, the D-shaped structure is impressive. It, uh, its two stories are built entirely out of gray granite. It has 56 individual gun emplacements on three of its four facades. Never mind, they had been designed for Civil War weapons and so weren't big enough for more modern firearms and explosives. After the Civil War that ended the same year the fort was completed, the facility became the home to one person, live-in caretaker. For decades, it sat mostly abandoned until the U.S. military finally found a purpose for it. Used it as a storage facility in World War I and World War II, and that was actually the extent of its active service. After each war, Fort Gorges was abandoned again. Well, in 1860, U.S. government officially declared the island fortification to be surplus property and turned it over to the city of Portland. Now, the fort was never torn down, and in 1973, it was added to the National Register of Historic Places. Today, it still stands on its own island in the, in the harbor. It's granite walls rising out of the bay and vegetation sprouting from the top. It's open if anybody wants to take a tour, though a sign at the entrance warns visitors enter at your own risk. It's only accessible by private boat. Trips about two and a half nautical miles through the rough waters of Casco Bay. And those that make the trip find a crumbling structure that's overrun by nature, has more or less free reign over the island fortress for nearly 150 years. Beyond that, the small fortress is also a portal to the past, just as it was on the day it was finished. Well, there's a lot of strange places around the country. One that's uh, certainly got a well-known name, but is uh, not a place you'd really want to go, is Six Flags New Orleans. You know, the marquee that stands out in front of the old amusement park still speaks its final ominous words name of the park and its logo are long gone of course but the sign reads closed for storm well truth be told it wasn't just hurricane katrina that did in six flags new orleans the project had issues from the start out there started with tom and dean weninger owners of 220 acres of swampland had been in their family for 50 years they envisioned using the acreage to build a park called Jazzland, filled with music and dedicated to the Cajun culture they loved. And it took them 10 years to raise the money and find investors before they finally broke ground in 1997. But, in spite of the progress, things still remain complicated, I guess is the best word. Since New Orleans is below sea level, the entire park had to be built on a four-foot raised platform to keep it above the waterline. Well, 
By the time Jazzland opened in 2000, with 25 rides, winning, there's were no longer involved. And ownership already changed hands several times. Park was a hit at first with more than a million visitors its first season. But, as you might guess, as with the case of many other uh, attractions around the country, interest quickly waned. And summers in New Orleans can be steamy, and a planned water park wasn't completed in time for the opening. Even worse, Jazzland had very few canopies or shaded areas, which left the guests to wilt in the sun. Well, as the crowds dwindled, the new owners, Alpha Smart Parks, fell deep into debt and went bankrupt. Eventually, amusement park giant Six Flags bought the property. They spent $20 million on upgrades, and the park reopened in 2003 as Six Flags New Orleans. Well, when Katrina made landfall April 29, 2005, the, the levees of New Orleans failed, which resulted in a deadly flood. About 80% of the city was underwater. $108 billion in damages. And many survivors moved away permanently. It took years for New Orleans to recover. The park sat under seven feet of swampy salt water for more than a month, and after it was finally receded, mold did even more damage. More than 80% of the rides and structures were deemed unsalvageable. So Six Flags didn't rebuild it. Over the next 20 years, plans to refurbish or repurpose the park came and went, and to date, nothing has been done. All that's left is an airy, overgrown reminder of a heartbreaking catastrophe and stories of shuttle people seen wandering the park in the darkening evenings. Well, let's go to western West Virginia for a little bit more information about the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. You know, it was authorized for construction in the 1850s in the Commonwealth of Virginia. But due to the outbreak of the Civil War, the project was put on hold. By the time it was actually finished in 1864, the facility was located in the newly created state of West Virginia. Despite being a massive structure, this asylum was originally designed to hold just 250 patients, with each person having their own private room. Of course, overcrowding became a serious issue very quickly. Records show that the asylum housed, housed 717 patients in 1880, 1661 patients in 1938, and 1849. <coughs> Excuse me. And in the 1950s, it had more than 2,600 patients. Well, the facility's intended use was further betrayed when people were admitted who didn't have mental illnesses. Some patients came in because of asthma and domestic issues. Uh, some were reportedly admitted for such heinous afflictions as ego and greed. If that was the case, Congress would be deserted. Once inside, remedies were often worse than any ailment with treatments that included respiratory stimulants, insulin shock, and electroshock therapy. Sometimes troubled patients were thrown into solitary confinement. And I teach them. 1950s, the hospital later renamed the Western State Hospitals home to the West Virginia Lobotomy Project. The facility also started to decay. In 1949, a report in the Charleston Gazette exposed poor sanitation, inadequate lighting, and a lack of heat in the complex. 
But it took until 1986 for the state of West Virginia to finally build a new mental health facility. Didn't open until 1994. State planned to convert the asylum into a prison, but that fell through and the building sat vacant until 1999. Then somebody had the brilliant idea to make it a Civil War museum. That ended after four floors of the main building were damaged beyond repair by 20 off-duty police officers playing paintball on the grounds. Today, the Blue Sandstone Building is open to tours, and there's a lot of paranormal activity reported. And every October, it hosts a Halloween party called the Asylum Ball. You'd be crazy to to go there, but uh, what the heck. All right. Well, from abandoned forts and places like that, let's talk about some little-known mysteries. Now, there's a lot of evidence that the ancient Romans had a uh, colony uh, near Phoenix, I think. Well, there's also the possibility that the ancient Romans made it to South America. Now, the deepest natural bay in the world hides a secret. It suggests South America may have been visited by ancient Europeans long before Columbus. Home to over 130 islands and a landscape where sand, sea, and cities sit in the shadows of mountains. Brazil's Guanabara Bay was discovered by European explorers in 1502 when ships flying the Portuguese flag entered the bay. But in 1976, local lobstermen found something on the sea floor that suggested a much earlier visit by a different set of Europeans to uh, prolific and controversial American marine archaeologist Robert Marks. Now, I've read a lot of his material over the years. He's a well-known treasure hunter. Large quantities of ancient jars called amphora, covered in barnacles and undisturbed across time, were popping up in the underwater world just 15 miles off the coast of uh, Guanabara Bay. These large jars were uh, the steamer trunks of the ancient world, primarily used by ancient Greeks, Phoenicians, and Romans to... Uh, carrying essential commodities such as water, grain, wine, or oil during sea voyages. That's according to uh, an archaeology website called Ancient Origins that I checked out. When Marsh explored the site in the early 80s, he decided the jars were of Roman origin and suggested these were as proof that ancient explorers had predated the celebrated Portuguese arrival by over a thousand years. Of course, his challenge to uh, Brazilian and New World history didn't sit well with a lot of folks, and Marx believed what followed was a cover-up by the Brazilian government. He accused the government of piling silt on top of the ancient ruins to bury the jars, along with their stories and their secrets. Brazil denied the charge and counted that Marx was an unreliable source, alleging he stole and sold artifacts illegally. But... In support of what Marx had to say, Brazil mysteriously banned underwater explorations in the bay altogether. Denied access to all archaeologists, not just Marx. 
And because of this, a lot of folks believe Brazil's history may yet need to be rewritten. And the keys to solving a secret lie buried in M4 at the bottom of the bay, waiting to be uncovered. You have to keep in mind that when uh, the powers that be say something is the case, if you come up with evidence that they're wrong, they'll bury the evidence and they may bury you in the process. Well, talking about ancient jars, let's go to Laos. They have a lot of unexplained jars, thousands of mysterious vessels. It's in the remote highlands of Laos, a landlocked country in Southeast Asia. There's an enduring mystery. It dots the plains in the form of ancient stone jars. Archaeologists date the jars to 1,500 to 3,000 years ago, and they've been found in over 100 locations. In groups ranging from 1 to 40. I'm sorry, 1 to 400. At the Subscura database, geographic-related information says the jars range in height from 3 to 10 feet. They weigh up to 14 tons each. Can't have too many of those on your shelf, can you? In other words, each individual jar weighs as much as 28 grand pianos or 8 cars, and there are literally thousands of these things. No clear answers about who made the jars, what their purpose was, or why there's so many in such remote, mountainous locations. Of course, there are various theories. Some have retained enough detail near their hollow openings to suggest they likely had lids, leading some to speculate they were ancient vessels for capturing water during monsoon season, storing food, or even fermenting wine. According to ancient origins, the, the latter is in keeping with a local legend that attributes the jars to racing giants whose king needed somewhere to store his rice wine. Other signs, though, including nearby burial sites, indicate they may instead have been part of an elaborate funeral process. Well, if you want to, you can visit Laos and see the jars today, but exploring this region of the country is problematic due to unexploded military munitions. If you go, you definitely need to use a dependable tour guide and stick to the trails and don't go wandering off into the hinterland. Well, from Laos, let's go to Costa Rica. There's a thousand-year-old mystery just waiting to be solved. It's a mesmerizing sight. The smooth spears of Costa Rica are the most perfectly shaped stone spears to have survived from any ancient historical period. Dated to 800 to 1500 A.D., these nearly perfect round stone balls range from one inch to seven feet in diameter. Largest weighs 16 tons, making this single spear equivalent to in weight to six and a half stone block Egypt's Giza pyramid. And uh, interestingly enough, the origin and purpose of these stones remains unknown. Though some archaeologists uh, feel confident the region's early inhabitants made them, they believe they may have played a, a role in astronomical mapping. That's a fallback position that archaeologists use. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. So, But the stone's sheer size, weight, and perfection led many to speculate on some wild theories. Historic Mysteries, a website devoted to archaeology, history, and unexplained phenomena, 
suggests that while some believe the stones were brought to earth by aliens, that's another fallback position. Others are the view they have a connection with the lost continent of Atlantis. Spears were discovered in the modern era, in the 1930s, when the land was cleared for a banana plantation. Unfortunately, many of the 300 stones were damaged, moved, or sold off. Only one remaining area containing stones removed from, unmoved from their original location. Nobody has a clue as to what they might be. Well, one thing... That humans have been good about is coming up with things that make life easier. Today, if you don't have electric lights, you might have battery-powered lights. And batteries have been around for quite a long time. But would you believe there were batteries 2,000 years ago? In fact, a 2,000-year-old clay jar was found in 1938, modern-day Baghdad, by a German archaeologist named Wilhelm Koenig. But this wasn't just any clay jar. Oh, no. This was believed by many to be an ancient prototype for a battery. It's got a stopper made of asphalt, according to the Smith College History of Science Museum of Ancient Inventions. Sticking through that asphalt's an iron rod surrounded by a copper cylinder. When you fill it up with vinegar or any other electroly electrolytic solution, the jar produces 1.1 volts of electricity. Now, the battery as we know it wasn't invented until 1800. So, what might ancient people have had uh, needed a battery? Discovery Network suggests practical uses could include medical purposes, electroplating, and or using it for a religious magic uh, trick, which the batteries placed inside a religious statue would emit a buzz. Well, like all great ancient mysteries, the bat theory is plenty of vocal detractors. And there's intrigue around Koenig himself, who apparently had no actual writings or evidence in which to base his theory before, according to uh, Discovery Networks, he published a paper on the battery in 1938. He called it a galvanic element from the Parthian... Parthian period, put in a German journal called Research in Progress. Well, unfortunately, the detractors who say, oh, you can't be right, don't have any answers of their own. Well, from 2,000-year-old batteries, let's talk about the Holy Grail. You know, there are a lot of enduring ancient mysteries, and then there are things of legend, steeped in religion and mystical symbolism for 2,000 years. The Holy Grail is a king of quests and ubiquitous in pop culture lore. Grail represents human desires for salvation and healing. Search represents our lust for heroic adventure and romance. But what exactly is the Holy Grail? Why has it stoked our collective interest so long, and where is it? I mean, even more basic question, does it really exist, or is it just legend? Well, in Christianity, the Holy Grail is the chalice or cup believed to have been used by Jesus Christ during the Last Supper. 
This was Jesus' final meal on the night before his crucifixion, and the bread and wine ceremony described in the Bible gave rise to the Christian practice of receiving the Eucharist. It's ingesting bread and wine as the body and blood of Christ. Christians also believe Joseph of Arimathema collected Jesus' literal blood in the chalice after the crucifixion. According to the History Channel, because of the importance of Jesus, crucifixion, and the Eucharist in Christian beliefs, the search for the grail became the holiest of quests as it signified the pursuit of union with God. Now, despite the grail's fame, no one is entirely sure where it is or even if it ever existed. That's according to BBC Travel. Stories surrounding a supposed movement, handling, and possession of the grail are so prolific that in Europe alone there have been more than 200 goblets believed to be the grail at various points in time. Stories that persist around these goblets are real thrillers, according to the History Channel. Some claim the cup rests in the sewers of Jerusalem. Others believe the medieval Knights Templars took the goblet from Jerusalem during the Crusades and eventually hid it away in the New World in locations ranging from Minnesota to Maryland and Nova Scotia. Some theorize it's even hidden in Fort Knox. Nothing else is there. Why not? Others claim of authentic grails come from places as diversion as southern Turkey and Toledo, Ohio. According to the History Channel, the contender from Turkey, known as the Antioch Chalice, was once taken so seriously it was toured museums such as the Louvre in Paris and they went on display in the 1933-34 World's Fair in Chicago. Until more precise dating ruled it out altogether. Interestingly, uh, while the core idea of the perpetual quest for the Holy Grail was born of a uh, chalice, the tales surrounding it are many and creative, and some reimagine the Holy Grail in other forms. According to Simply Catholic, an online publication of publisher OSV, tales have portrayed the chalice as a stone, a gem, and a platter, as well as a chalice. And many of these stories didn't spring up until the 12th and 13th centuries. New World Encyclopedia notes that some of the tales during that period have roots in pre-Christian folklore as well. Most scholars believe that while the central theme of the Grail is Christian, even when they're not explicitly religious, much of the setting and imagery of the early romances is drawn from Celtic material. Of course, the most iconic tale of the quest for the Holy Grail is the story of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. You know, simply uh, Catholic explains how this classic tale of chivalry and swords is built around the pursuit of the Holy Grail. Joseph Arimathema said to have collected Jesus' blood in the chalice, first took the chalice to Europe, stopping in France before ultimately settling in Glastonbury, England. This latter location, according to legend, is where King Arthur and Queen Guinevere are buried, marking the intersection between the Christian roots and the medieval tale. I will say that at one point in time, a large um, coffin was found containing the body of a, a large man and a woman curled up beside him. It's the moral quest for a real-world object that connects humanity with salvation. How the grail of Arthurian the legend becomes the great object of a civic uh, quest as the knights at the round table set out to find the chalice and the holy blood and fail or succeed according to their purity and holiness. 
classic adventure movie Indiana Jones and the Rest Crusades, a modern reimagining of the quest for the Holy Grail. Captures a spirit of romance and intrigue and excitement surrounding this enduring mystery. Notably, the Grails portrayed in the movie is far less opulent and ornate than most other tales and medieval art uh, conceived it to be. I mean, he was a carpenter after all. You know, two historians offered the most recent claims surrounding the identity and location of the Holy Grail, claiming the Grails in Spain. History Channel explained that uh, after an intensive historical investigation, research has concluded a chalice given to Spain in the early 11th century to honor King Ferdinand I's daughter, known as the Chalice of the Infanta Donna Uraca, is the elusive Holy Grail. They're right, the Grail, currently housed in the Basilica of San Isidoro, has been within our possession for a thousand years without the world realizing it. But, according to BBC Travel Channel, you shouldn't give up on the quest. There's another chalice, supposed to be the Grail, and it's housed in the Valencia Cathedral. The um, excitement around it has drawn an influx of visitors to Valencia, but as with prior attempts to identify the Holy Grail, the claim involves many moving pieces and obscure links, inviting skepticism. Fact is, it may not be possible to prove any individual cup is the Holy Grail after all this time. Whether it's been sitting under our noses for centuries or yet to be found, this elusive Holy Grail and its quest surely won't give up its grip on our imagination anytime soon. Well, you know, while tales of the quest for the Holy Grail have persisted more than a thousand years, none have reimagined the quest quite like the way the Monty Python and the Holy Grail did. This 1975 movie classic written by and starring members of the British comedy troupe Mighty Pythons, an absurdist retelling of the tale of King Arthur and Knights at a Round Table, and it even includes a killer rabbit, Ella Jimmy Carter, lampoons the quest for the Holy Grail as well as lacking, tackling society, politics, and human nature in general. And with a global fan base that has spanned since generations, the low-budget film is considered by many as one of the funniest ever made. But it doesn't take the quest, the Catholic Church, even movie-making seriously, decidedly will not advance your understanding of the quest for the Holy Grail in any way, but it will make you laugh. You can also check out the well-received stage adaptation called Mighty Python's, Python's Spamalot, which turns the whole farce into a hilarious musical. You know, there's a lot of evidence that, in fact, our view of ancient history may be incorrect. From time to time, what are called oops, out-of-place artifacts turn up. One of the most baffling is the Antikythera mechanism. This too advanced discovery has shocked modern science. Now, Science would have you believe we're the first humans to develop computers. And that would be correct unless the ancient Greeks beat us to the punch by more than 2,000 years. A Grecian diver exploring a shipwreck off the coast of a small island. It's called Antikythera. In 1901, discovered a badly corroded 
unbelievably complex metal object. I know it's been studied extensively. The uh, mechanism defies explanation. Scientific American called it an extraordinary object. It's befuddled historians and scientists for more than 120 years. The mechanism, which has 82 parts, contains intricate, complex, modern-style bronze gears. And since its discovery, researchers have used increasingly advanced techniques for analyzing the object's uh, inner workings, which, according to the, the Greek reporter, includes such things as bearings and pillars and a block and a mysterious disk, along with an extraordinary intricate 6.3, I'm sorry, 63, can't read my writing, uh, tooth gear and a plate. Modern tech has also enabled researchers to uh, piece together the code, Greek inscriptions on the interior of the device, which relate to astronomy. The Live Science website says researchers found evidence suggesting the mechanism, dated between 178 and 204 B.C., was influenced by astronomical theories from ancient Babylon and Greece and mathematics in the Platonic Academy. Though there's a consistence, the mechanism was probably used to make astronomical calculations concerning the sun, the moon, and the planets. Researchers still don't know who created this ingenious computing device or what it really was going to be used for. Well, even though, allegedly, ancient Greeks were primitive, they still pop up with mysteries we have problems solving. For example, how many people knew King Tut had a space dagger? His body shielded an iron knife that, by all reports, should not exist. Layers upon layers of interesting mysteries surround the life and death of Egyptian pharaoh Tutankhamun, and they've captivated the world's attention ever since the tomb was opened in uh, Egypt in 1922. But this particular discovery surprised even the archaeologist. According to Forbes... Researchers unwrapping the mummified ancient boy king made it a surprising discovery. 34-centimeter-long dagger made of iron and decorated with gold. Now, that may not sound like something unusual, but King Tut reigned from 1332 B.C. to 1323 B.C. That was over 150 years before the Iron Age began. The period in human history where we started making tools and weapons from iron. And that's just the beginning of the mystery. According to the Astronomy Magazine website, an analysis of Blade's chemical composition revealed that it has a nickel content, content consistent with space rock. And in support of this idea, the Blade shows signs of woodman stoughton patterns, a phenomena Forbes calls a unique pattern of intergrown um, metallic minerals found only in meteorites. According to one current theory, the blade was a wedding gift from the king of Mitanni in Anatolia, which is known modern-day Turkey, to Tut's grandfather, Amenhotep III. It was fashioned from a meteor that fell in the, that particular area. But what live science warns, there's currently no scientific consensus, and other researchers think the dagger's true origins and purpose are still shrouded in a mystery. As I say, it's something that should not exist. Well, let's talk about what are known as the Venus figurines. 
According to The Collector, a scholarly uh, website devoted to the humanities, the, what are called the Venus figurines among the oldest three-dimensional representations of the human form that have yet been discovered. These tiny sculptures of naked, full-bodied uh, women uh, with discernible facial features date to about 25,000 to 30,000 years ago. Long believed to represent some kind of archetype of fertility or beauty, the Venus figurines have inspired numerous origin theories. But recent research theories uh, theorize they may have been talismans of survival during a period of massive climate change. SciTech Daily, an online resource devoted to science and technology, explains the researchers based this theory on a strange statistical anomaly. Venus figurines date to uh, the time of the last ice age in Europe, and the size of the figurines correlates to the availability of food sources where they were found. According to Science Alert, uh, figurines are less obese as distance from the glaciers increase. Body size proportions were largest where the glaciers were advancing, whereas obesity decreased when the climate warmed and the glaciers retreated. Interestingly, researchers are conflicted as to what it all means. Uh, some believe these figurines are meant to demonstrate the ideal body size for carrying a successful pregnancy in times of food scarcity. Others theorize the figurines may have been carried or worn as talismans in the hopes of imbuing pregnant women with the energy they'd need to survive. But uh, whatever the rumors may be, whatever the theories may be, your true purpose may forever be shrouded in mystery. And we have some Roman Empire gadgets that baffle historians. Dodecahedrons. Made from copper and about the size of a ba baseball. These curious Roman gadgets seem to have been quite uh, common, though their purpose is still anybody's guess. In the first discovery in 1739, more than 100 of these handheld 12-sided figures have been uh, found, each one containing a hole in the center of each side with inconsistent diameters. Though their existence seems to date to around uh, 1,600 years ago, live science explains that these estimates are based on the soil that dodecahedrons were found in, rather than the metal itself, which is hard to pin to a specific period. Historic Mysteries, a website devoted to archaeology and history and the unexplained mysteries, explains that scholars of various subjects have examined these objects and offer wildly divergent theories as to their use. They may have been some kind of astrological device, that's a fallback position, as I've said, or an astronomical or mathematical tool, a divination tool, a dice-type entertainment object, a candlestick holder, a knitting device, or decorative element. According to live science, they could have been uh, calendars, measuring instruments, devices for timing grain planting, or objects related to artillery. You know, whatever practical use they served is lost to time, leaving the Roman uh, dodecahedron as a persistent ancient enigma. Well, we talked about the Ark, the um, Holy Grail. Let's talk about another religious mystery. Where is the Ark of the Covenant? 
That's the gilded crest that held the Ten Commandments. It's been lost to time. You know, mysterious objects survive from antiquity, showing up in to modernize as artifacts with a few contextual clues, leaving us to speculate as to what they are, who made them, and why they made them. But once in a while, the opposite happens. We know exactly what an object is, who made it, what purpose it served. We just can't seem to find it or confirm it ever really existed. And that's the mystery of the Ark of the Covenant, a well-documented object which time seems to have erased. In the Judeo-Christian tradition, founded on the stories and prophecies in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was one of the holiest artifacts to ever exist. The biblical story of the Ark of the Covenant tells how the prophet Moses led the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt before climbing Mount Sinai, communicating with God directly, and returning with a pair of tablets engraved with the Ten Commandments. These were the ten laws God wanted uh, the Israelites to follow, including mainstays like, Thou shalt not kill. And thou shalt not steal. Unfortunately, they seem to have been overlooked. Though Moses dashed the stones down and broke them after seeing evidence of the people's sins, the Ark of the Covenant was built to keep the stone shards safe. Ark is from the Latin arca, meaning chest, and the covenant is an agreement. So the Ark of the Covenant was a chest built to house, transport, and protect the tablets containing the Ten Commandments, the agreement between God and the Israelites. The construction is described in the Bible as summarized by the National Geographic. It would have been large, about the size of a 19th century seaman's chest, made of gold-plated wood and topped with two large golden angels, carried using poles inserted through rings on its side. Ark served as a sacred symbol of mutual commitment between God and the Israelites. It would have been built about 3,000 years ago and jealously guarded by an unlocal line of religious leaders. But today, it's vanished. There's no trace of it. After the Israelites left Mount Sinai, biblical stories tell of the ark's travel with them and its role in various miracles. One story, the Jordan River reported a temporary stop flowing and priests carrying the ark decided to cross the river. Other stories emphasize the notion that the ark was, or more specifically the covenant it contained, gave its bearers unstoppable military power. One such story, the Ark is captured by the Philistines, but without the faith of the Israelites, they can't control the Ark's powers and soon afflicted with a number of vile diseases, forcing them to reluctantly return the Ark to the Israelites. Still, other stories declare that anybody who dared to touch the Ark or look inside it would suffer a horrible death. So what happened to it? As National Geographic explains, eventually the Babylonian Empire conquered the Israelites about 600 B.C., and the Ark vanished. Its fates remain completely unknown to this day. Some stories claim the Ark was hidden in Ethiopia before the Babylonian siege and remains there today in St. Mary's Zion Cathedral. Church authorities, of course, say only one man, the guardian of the Ark, is allowed to see it. They were never permitted it to be studied for authenticity. Another claim described by National Geographic is that the Ark's hidden beneath a certain temple in Jerusalem Untestable theory because that same site's home to the Dome of the Rock Shrine and which Islam holds sacred and presumably would never allow to be dug up. And there's a far more convoluted theory about the Ark's whereabouts as well. According to the World History Encyclopedia, the story says the Ark was discovered in Jerusalem along with the Holy Grail by the Knights Templar 
And this group of European adventurer knights were dedicated to the Catholic Church right up to its members were mass executed in 1307. Some knights were said to have escaped this tragic fate, fleeing the, to the United States with the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy Grail. They formed a Masonic order, protecting those artifacts somewhere in total secrecy. Well, is the Ark's final fate ever going to be confirmed? Well, even if it's eventually found, there's no practical way to determine whether it's the one described in the Bible. According to the National Geographic Society fellow Fred Hebert, who we're talking about things at the crossroads between myth and reality, I don't believe as a field archaeologist we can use the scientific method to prove or disprove them. We may have to contend ourselves with the Indiana Jones version of the story in which a famed fictional archaeologist embarks on a wild quest and secures the missing ark, battling all the Nazis that stand in his way. Well, it would be interesting to find out what the story is about um, whether or not the Templars did bring the, uh, the treasures with them. On that note, we come to the end of today's show. Be back tomorrow, and once again, you'll be listening to Ken Hudnall on the Ken Hudnall Show. Until then, have a truly great evening.